Hello and welcome to the Music Works podcast. I'm Katie Beardsworth, director and founder of Polyphony Arts, and today I'm delighted to welcome soprano Magdalena Minar, the new artistic director of Cape Town Opera. Her stated mission is to reinvent classical music in South Africa, and we'll hear about how Cape Town Opera was putting black singers on the bill even before the end of apartheid, plus how she sees the current musical scene in South Africa as one of vibrance and diversity. As a singer who has run and found funding for her own company, Bibliothèque Productions, she describes herself as the queen of shoestring, which has undoubtedly helped her develop the skills she brings to her new role in a full-scale opera house. Magdalena clearly has great plans for Cape Town Opera, so stay with us as she shares some teasers about what her vision might be, both in her immediate plans and her, her wider vision. And if you're wondering about how best to introduce your young child to classical music, Magdalena has some anecdotes for you too. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance offers a team of music experts who understand musicians' needs and lifestyles, especially helpful during the strange times we're in. You can get cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment with protection against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. And unlike home insurance, there's no excess to pay on instrument or accessory claims. At the moment, Alliance have a special online offer with two months free cover. Not only that, every Alliance music policy now includes free legal assistance and support so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Find out more at alliancemusic.co.uk. Alliance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. And now, let's go over to the Music Works studio where Magdalena is waiting to talk to us. So welcome Magdalena, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, thank you Katie, it's wonderful uh, chatting to you. Great, yeah, I can't wait to have this conversation. So uh, today we have Magdalena Minar, the Artistic Director of Cape Town Opera. And um, I have all sorts of questions for you about um, <laughs> holding this prestigious role in this, in this wonderful company. Um, so let's start with a bit about you. Would you like to just sort of introduce yourself and your, your career so far? Yes, well, I mean, it's, uh, I suppose, quite a quite a journey to where I am now. It's, uh, uh, this is pretty much my, my dream position uh, as artistic director. So everything that I've done up to now has kind of uh, uh, accumulated to, to this. Um, I am a trained opera singer and I ran my own production company um, for 12 years and um, also started my directing career quite uh, quite early on, so in South Africa, um, the opportunity to really do more than just one thing. So, so apart from being an op opera singer before, I was also, also a producer and a director, uh, which was a lot of fun, um, but now I can kind of focus, focus on one thing. I'm busy. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful. And you're new to the role, is that right? Uh, yes, I was uh, appointed last year and I literally started on the 10th of January. So this is me in week two. Oh, <laughs> and I'm wow. Still standing, so, <laughs> so, so I feel uh, like, yes. Even, even newer than I thought. Oh, great. And yeah. so how's it been? How's the start of the job been for you? 
It's been wonderful. I mean, I've been coming in um, as a director last year, so uh, the the team and everyone here is not unknown to me. Um, and we had some kind of secret meetings where I could at least start planning the season ahead because we were already quite behind on that. Um, uh, and because of COVID, a lot of things obviously had to be postponed and, and kind of re-looked at. So we had the opportunity to at least have a kind of a framework, but now the, the hard work is is filling in the framework and colouring it nicely and putting little bows on it so that we can release it to the public. So that's what we're busy with at, uh, at the moment. So it's, uh, it's fun yeah. <laughs> and hard work. <laughs> it's a busy and detailed time, that, isn't it? <laughs> correct, correct. Um, wonderful. And are you um, are you the first woman to hold this post? Uh, no, actually, um, the second woman, as far as I'm aware. Oh, great. Okay. Yes. And um, yeah. so I asked you this just before we started, but um, so I, I became aware of, um, I've I heard about you taking on this role and immediately, you know, was keen to mm-hmm. interview you. And one of the things that I'm curious about, and um, I think a lot of our listeners will be, is the sort of, um, the situation in South Africa with arts and with um, you know inclusion and diversity, obviously um, it, in the UK, it's a huge topic for us at the moment, very much in conversation in terms of the people working in organisations, the music that's performed, um, everything really. So I wondered if you could just give us a bit of a an outline of how things stand in um, where you are. Well, I, I suppose it's a, um, maybe not not everyone will agree with me but i i do think that we are very far along in terms of diversity in south africa um i was saying to you earlier i think that we are one of the most diverse opera companies in the world um if you look at uh, our our roster of singers our chorus our our staff at cape town opera um and in south africa in general if you look at our orchestras um, most of our uh, professional choirs, professional um, opera singers, um, all kind, uh, kinds of um, artistic administrators, directors. Uh, it is a very mixed bag. And um, I think because South Africa has uh, been steeped in, you know, the, the horrible dark past with uh, apartheid and all, everything that came with that, I think uh, because... Uh, from 1994 onwards, we, there was such a, a, a drive towards inclusivity. We have come in the arts a very, very long way. And um, Captain Opera actually is was instrumental in um, being one of the first companies to put uh, black singers on the stage, even before apartheid had fallen. So it was, um, it, I think that we're doing well. Um, uh, in Artscape, which is the theatre house that we uh, uh, rent our space from, we are five associate companies, which includes um, uh, the orchestra, which is Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra. We have the ballet company. We have Jazz Art, which is a more kind of a contemporary dance company. And we also have Unmute uh, Dance Company, which is a disabled dance uh, group. And, uh, I mean, they do just incredible work. And... Um, so, so just to say that I think uh, in terms of diversity, we, I think we're doing well. Sounds like you're doing phenomenally. That sounds like <laughs> such a great mix. What an exciting uh, set of things to all have under one roof. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is incredibly exciting. 
That's wonderful. And so tell us more about how you came into to being the artistic director. Then I see you've mentioned um, that you obviously have been through um, several aspects of um, performance and production careers. But, um, you know, for people kind of looking at you in this role and thinking, you know, how can I do something like that in my mm. future? What do you think? Um, what do you think we need to know? Um, so definitely, I think uh, <clears throat> the common misconception with an artistic director is that you are a director, and that is that's not always the case. I mean, we all know an artistic director can also be a conductor. Um, uh, I even think that sometimes um, artists get appointed as uh, artistic directors. Um, but I do think that your your knowledge of producing needs to be really, really good. Um, I uh, had to <laughs> answer a lot of very technical questions in my in my interviews and uh, kind of really you, you you have to know the inner workings of theater of the stage of the production process the, the pre-production you know um, I I myself am very interested always in the kind of budgeting side and in how to I call myself the the queen of shoestring because um, I ran my own company I had to always find my own funds and then spend my own funds and see to it that we break even at least um, which is always the goal with an MPO obviously but um, uh, I mean performance wise uh, also I uh, I think um, it's good for an artistic director to know the kind of psyche of a of an artist um, and to to be able to work with with artists in a respectful and um, and uh, creative way I think it's it's very important to understand how artists tick and that I obviously do because I am myself still an artist so um, it's all those various aspects that come together as an artistic director which is for me particularly what makes it an exciting um, job to have i don't think it's for everyone um <laughs> but uh, uh yeah certainly all, all all of those aspects have have kind of um brought me to this point where where i can do the job yes well it's quite a range isn't it <laughs> yes um, yeah yeah absolutely um and so what have you um you've mentioned that you're at that point of the season of kind of finalizing the um the details are you able to share any more details about what you've actually got coming up or is it embargoed at the moment sadly or... i cannot oh. but uh, <laughs> i can perhaps just give some teasers so the first thing um is that uh you know i came in with apparently my machete after right. covid and um, just made some large um, incisions in our budgets just mm -hmm. to save costs to the company. And um, I mean, uh, I, I have a certain way of, of doing things and I'm, I'm very keen on, on, on making the company very kind of uh, even profitable if it's, if it's at all possible. I know I get a lot of laughs when I say that opera can be profitable. I still believe it can be. Um, I believe that too. We're in the minority <laughs> though. <laughs> Absolutely. But I mean, because we have always, we've never really been dependent on, on government funding like a lot of other houses or companies. Um, we've always had to find our own funding, which is incredibly stressful in COVID time. So we've had to, you know, um, take some long and hard decisions about our season. And we're not going to be doing the very large productions with large, beautiful new sets and new sets of costumes and all of that. Um, and rather kind of focusing on, on what we can do, do in-house. Um, so the one thing that I have decided, uh, which I don't know how that's going to be met, 
by the outside world, but I will be directing all the productions myself, um, just purely to save costs uh, to the company. Um, and um, I mean, I find that very exciting, obviously, because uh, a lot of these productions uh, have also come in collaboration with other companies. So, so it, that in itself is then a, a very interesting artistic pro, uh, um, you know, process. And our first production, which I won't mention, is a site-specific production, which is something that's very close to my heart. So I wanted to open this, the, the season with something really, really unique and kind of immersive and um, some, something for our audiences to really look, look forward to. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So is that on a different site from where Cape Town Opera would usually perform? Yes, so it, yeah. um, it is It is then not uh, in a theatre. Uh, yeah. We will be kind of uh, in, a, in a space which you normally wouldn't expect a theatrical performance to, to happen. Oh, I feel like we have to come back and have this conversation again when you've announced your programme. Absolutely. <laughs> you can tell Absolutely. me what. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> but that's de- as far as how teasers go, that's definitely a good one. <laughs> I'm good, good. I'm glad, I'm glad. <laughs> very, very much piqued interest here, certainly. Um, great. And so what then, um, looking forward, so have you come in sort of partway through artistic planning of a season then, so the repertoire as it was already broadly chosen and you finessed, or did you have like a clean slate when you came in mm, I, had, I had a clean slate with the, with the uh, kind of a uh, you know the kind of smaller COVID friendly budget mm-hmm. um, and also in in trying to to plan around where the next fifth wave could potentially be and not having to move things around um, we're really trying to accommodate our audiences and not having to cancel things and then um, and not only our audiences, obviously our artists and our, our, our technical um, and creative teams as well uh, to not to not uh, mess people around too much because we're very aware of the the psychological effects that um, COVID and all, all this chop and changing um, has had. And I mean, cancelling pr- a production is never, a, 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 it's, it's a very expensive um, exercise to do mm. so we're trying to to plan carefully to kind of miss those spots so it's been it's 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 been interesting um yeah yeah we just don't really do it do we cancelling things up until two years ago right <laughs> it just never exactly. happened it's, it just never <laughs> happened so there, there yeah. is no formula for it yeah absolutely um and do you have what's your sort of vision for the future of cape town opera well, <laughs> apart from being profitable as, as an opera company, um, uh, and I say that slightly tongue-in-cheek because it's not, it's not a main goal, I think it's just to, to bring the most magical, uh, incredible, beautiful music and productions to our audiences and to definitely grow our audiences. I'm starting various new kind of uh, entities and ventures to to build our audiences from from as young as birth. <laughs> so, um, you know, the area of zero to seven has been very interested, interesting for me um, <clears throat> because I have small kids um, and because I was a freelance um, producer, singer, director, I started um, various musical kind of platforms for, for young kids. And the one that still exists now is called Clever Classical Kids, which is kind of a... Um, uh, a curriculum for 
for babies to seven-year-olds and um, uh, through that process of designing this curriculum and um, and starting this hub where we teach uh, teach clever classical kids classes, um, I have gained so much knowledge uh, about the importance of early music education and how important it is to to give young children as young as babies the chance to experience classical music um, and the phenomenal effects that it has on their brain development and um, amazing stimulation that it gives to them but um, our hope is also that then when you get immersed in this art form from a young age as we will be doing with Cape Town Opera with various uh, children's operas and immersive experience for, for young young children um, that they will then become our kind of foolproof um, future audience I like it <laughs> <laughs> So much needed. I have a young child as well. Um, Good. I took him to his first Verdi Requiem the other week. Oh, wow. <laughs> How old is he? Five. Oh wow! And I know. It <laughs> was It was okay. Well, yeah, it was great actually. I mean, it. Yeah, it was a bit of a pun on my part, but um, I can imagine. I think I thought it was a it was a production that was um, it involved a lot of musicians. It was a professional orchestra and choir along like paired with a, with community musicians and singers and there were going to be 350 people on the stage and he's obviously wow. spent you know the third of his life in covid times oh. so this is just so different from anything he's seen and i had this idea so I, I sort of thought well it's a, it's a relatively short concert obviously because hmm. it was just that piece and i thought right well right. um you know i think it could probably hold his attention for the amount of time possibly and like with sort of you know tactical snacks um <laughs> that kind of thing very um, important and I can I, I don't regret it at all it was wonderful like he was really engrossed in it a lot of the time and some of the time he wasn't I'm not going to pretend that he's some kind of like you know amazing sponge right. who can sit for an hour and 10 minutes without ever getting bored right. but um it was nice and um and I enjoyed spending that time doing it with him which was nice amazing. and um, the the one thing I did think afterwards was although the concert isn't very long without it's a very long time to go without an interval. <laughs> absolutely, and, yeah. and, and I mean those are the kind of things that you that you have to uh, absolutely keep in mind when programming yeah. for 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 a very young audience. Mm -hmm. um, but on that topic, I also want to say that uh, uh, oftentimes parents think that they were they, they don't they rather don't take the kids to to certain classical performances because you have to sit quiet be, be as quiet as a mouse and you can't make a sound and you're embarrassed if your child um, does make a sound um, and I, I I'm very very passionate about creating that platform where mom can have her coffee or dad can walk around with crying baby or you know there's there's that kind of sense of of just a bit of a give and take between the audience and the and the performers because also even when your your child is um, sitting with the coloring book while listening to this, the music is still going in. It's all still going in. It's interesting that you say that actually, because I ha I thought about bringing coloring with me because I knew like coloring is a thing that we use in cafes and things, um, and mm. he, I knew that he would probably sit. And then I didn't because I thought I can't see how we'd sort of logistically like manage it. But then actually, he spent quite a lot of time. So, or I, the other thing I learned is that you know cha obviously theatre chairs that like fold up, mm. Um, mm. great toy. Um, it's so a great toy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
So he spent quite a lot of time standing on the floor, kind of bending over the chair seat. And I was like, well, actually, it would have been perfect because he could have yeah. coloured. So I would definitely do that next time. And I, right. I see, I do some education um, music work with kids as well, and I have seen. Oh, wonderful! Um, I have seen the the way that giving them pens and paper while they listen to music can bring mm. out this kind of create this sort of like dual creative response. Absolutely, it's really powerful. Absolutely. So, um. The other thing that I thought was interesting about my experience while we were talking about it is that because it was... So the other reason why I thought it would be okay to take it partly... Also, it was an afternoon concert. That was part of the reason. And right. I sort of felt like because it was lots of community musicians in the on the stage and their families would be there, that there would be um, more of a community feeling audience and more of a mixed mm. audience in terms of ages and things. But um, it, But it definitely wasn't a children's concert. And he got so many comments on the way out because you know, everyone Sweet. could see him and everyone was going, oh, he deserves so well, which I'm obviously, you know, desperately proud of Sweet. that. But um, <laughs> on the way, he just said to me, he was like, mummy, I had no idea everyone knew I was here. <laughs> oh, that is so cute. Well, it is Gosh. quite cute, but also I was I like, mean, God, it goes to show how much of a novelty it is. Because, you know, usually well, when he goes places, people are like, oh, wow, hi, like, you're yeah. here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So what's been your experience with your kids then of, um, you know, as, a, as a, musical ex- a musical upbringing type thing? Well, I mean, my my son, who's turning eight in two days' time, is violently against the idea of classical music, and he keeps telling me that he he would rather listen to rock, and he wants to be a rocker. Um, you know, he his favorite band is Queen and Muse. Um, so, but but actually, what always just strikes me is that when he's sitting with his Lego and he's just playing on his own or with you know drawing whatever, I hear what he's but he's whistling or humming and it's all classical tunes you know he'd go through mozart mozart is quite a quite a quite a favorite in my um my um listening repertoire so he gets a lot of it but and i mean i don't play classical music all the time it's just here and there where he hears it and he just it, it's a, that's why i'm saying it just all goes mm. in um and uh, because i um i was teaching voice from home a lot in COVID time he could hear uh, a lot of uh, my warm-up exercises that I did with my with my students. So, so you know, sometimes in in at home the conversation would go something like, "Jacob, where are Which is Jacob, where are you? And then he would answer, um, "I'm upstairs, mommy." And then we would go <laughs> up in semitones. Um, and it just, I mean, there's just this kind of in, intrinsic musicality. I mean, he does grow up in a musical home, but my point is just that if you if you um, uh, constantly and not even constantly is not the right word. I think if you if you are aware that that classical music has this effect and theatre and just going outside and not being on on a screen and listening to live music, um, it has such a huge effect on children. Um, and I mean, my son still uh, because we've had two two years of not going to the pantomime yearly or to the you know, what, whatever the fun event was that we, we used to go to that he enjoyed. And he still remembers all those productions. Um, you know, um, it's just, it, they are such sponges and we have to absolutely leverage on that um, in a way that we can can kind of, you know, secure our future audiences and, and our future musicians. Um, 
So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree completely. And it's it's so easy when you're able to just kind of let it be a thing that children are around. But there's quite a lot of um, barriers to that in the UK, certainly, and the cost of mm. going to things and the expectation of silence, like you said. It, it does... I mean, I put a lot of thought into taking my son to that concert, even mm. though... Right. I mean, obviously, even I, I am sort of very consciously aware of all of those barriers. So I, because mm. I do a lot of thinking about them, and even then, I was like, okay, well, this will be like this, and that'll be okay, and it's not too expensive, and so on. So I was like, it's right. a worthy risk. Do you know what I mean? That I might not enjoy right. it. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's sad that you have to make those choices. There should be programming um, that that allows for that age group, and um, I know that, for instance, on our on our tickets, we say um, no under twelves. But then, where are the under twelves supposed to go? You know, so so this is, these are the kind of small things that I think um, uh, globally we can we can start changing to to start include, including, and that, that goes absolutely along the same discussion um, as as inclusivity as a whole. You know, totally, um, yeah. uh, opening up theaters and live classical music to 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 young people, to little people. Well, the things that prevent little people from and young people from enjoying music permeate through to to you know adults um, you know with disabilities that mean that you Absolutely. know being quiet or sitting still or not having needs for two hours uh, is, is impossible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this is very. I love talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's great to hear. So, so do you think? And I say this not having checked at all. How how um, do you feel about Cape Town Opera's work in this area right now? And do, you know, is this something that you plan to increase in terms of like their work that um, attracts younger audiences and more diverse audiences, or are they already doing this really well? Um, uh, the, the younger audiences is something where we will definitely be, be um, amping up and this is something that I can bring to the company and we've got our lists and lists of, of, of planning um, uh, around that uh, which includes uh, even baby theatre so <laughs> you know it's for, so, so it's quite, quite small categories so it would be something like zero to three I mean four to seven so so really kind of curating according to to the specific needs um, and also definitely looking at um, the different disabilities um, whether it's uh, sight impaired hearing impaired that is something that um, artscape uh, theater complex already allows for so all all the theaters the opera house and the and the theater um, has systems where um, hearing impaired uh, patrons can actually uh, connect with some kind of a system where they where they are assisted, um, and the same with visually impaired patrons, mm. um, which which is really great. Uh, and this theatre complex is also incredibly um, lucky to have a um, uh, the the I think she's the CEO of the of the Artscape um, theatre complex. She's the she runs the Unmute um, Dance Company, and she herself has a has a, a disability. So. Um, what always strikes me is that you can't get parking close to the stage door because there are something like 10 disabled bays, um, which is just so wonderful. I mean, um, you know, it just makes the, the whole um, uh, process of having whichever disability just so much easier, you know, to actually mm. get to stage or get to the auditorium. So so on, on, on that level, I think um, uh, uh, there's not too much... Um, to improve on um but definitely for for the younger audience wonderful 
Sounds like such an exciting place to work. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, I'd like to, to round the interview off. I wonder if you have any, any words of advice for uh, musicians or artistic directors of the future um, who are listening to this today. Yes, well, I mean, I, I have so much advice. It's, uh, um, but the, the kind of key thing, I think, is that you, if this is something that you want to do, decide what, which direction it is that interests you the most, whether it is directing or the producing side of it, or perhaps if you're a young conductor, um, and just start creating your own work from as young as possible. That was absolutely... Um, the way that I could populate my CV from a young age was purely through things that I had, not purely, but largely through productions that I, that I had myself um, created. Um, so that's my advice. Just start and just do it and just do whatever you can and write everything down and write everything on your CV and just get out there and just collaborate and decide. And the other thing is to visualize what you want in your life. That's a big thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been such a pleasure. It's a great pleasure. Thanks, Katie. Thank you. It's been such a privilege to have you as our guest on Music Works. We're always so delighted to talk to women in leadership positions in music and the creative, administrative, technical fields. Sounds like you encompass all of the above. <laughs> um, and sitting here in the UK, it's so exciting to hear about the kind of diversity that you describe in classical music in South Africa today. And from a personal point of view, it's been really great to share experiences with another mother about the joys and challenges of introducing small people to live music. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm sure that I echo our listeners when I congratulate you again on your appointment to Cape Town up for We're sure it's going to be a really amazing partnership. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes, and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening. <laughs>